population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and we'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening and we've also got Peter in the studio as well. Hi everyone. Yeah, so first up on the show we're going to be speaking with Claire Seppings who's a regular Doing Time contributor and a criminal justice expert, Churchill Fellow, and she has um, written a report and has come in here regularly to speak about her research in regards to incarceration and the lived experience of prison. And then following on from that, we'll be speaking with Sajda, who is a member of Flemington Kennington's Community Legal Centre Peer Advocacy Team, and she works to end racial profiling, and she'll be speaking about racial profiling itself. And she'll also speak um, about the Milo event last year and what happened at the, at the protest and pr- give a little bit of a brief summary in regards to the strong police presence and draconian measures that took place um, at, at that Milo protest. So, yeah, and he'll, she'll give a bit of background about that international speaker with his fascist uh, principles. So, yeah... Um, We'll be um, doing, uh, having a little bit of a, an announcement now, um, and we'll go from there. Estás sintonizando 3CR 855 de tu dia la M. Se Radio 3CR AM AM each week, 3CR broadcasts over 130 programs in 25 languages supporting communities and viewpoints that you just don't hear about anywhere else. Subscribe to your award-winning multilingual community radio station, 3CR, and help keep these voices on the airwaves. Call the station on 9419 8377. The number is again 94198377. We will not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And 
Somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we have, don't actually have the right to do that. That nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded, I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course a lot of the Aboriginals having been stolen were put into state care and also others The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day, 223 years ago the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 941983 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. And you're back with uh, the Doing Time show, and we're still trying to get on to Claire Seppings. We were um, going to be speaking about an article that was um, written by the Canadian CBC and looking at solitary confinement. Um, but anyway, we'll, we may be speaking with her or Sajta. Um, depending on who we can get first. But in the meantime, we're is, is is that lined up yet, Pete? 
Not no. yet. Well, we may as well play another song while that's happening. I mean, the Doing Time show is also famous for, for its um, promoting great Aboriginal music. And um, Peter and I were just listening to a sample of um, a song by Coffin, which is a fantastic Aboriginal band. Yeah, a few, um, Aboriginal, people few Aboriginal people are in it. It's a mixture of, you know, different cultures. but um, And it's it's punk music at its best and uh, a very strong political message there. But just to say that there is a language warning, um, just to let listeners know that. Um, and the song is called White Dog. So listen to this music and see what you think while you're waiting for our next interview. And I'll just put that on um, in a sec. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And while we're waiting for our interview, we've got about six minutes. Um, I'll just read out a bit of an article from the Sydney Criminal, Australia. Um, And this is a a bit of work that um, Justice Action has done. We've interviewed them quite a few times on this show. So now it's crossing over to the Australian experience. Criminal Justice um, Australia to Implement Protections Against Prisoner Abuse by Paul Gregor. And after signing the optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture in 2009, the Australian government finally ratified the international treaty on December 15th. The nation is now obligated to enhance oversight in its places of detention to prevent the mistreatment and abuse of people who have lost their liberty. Random independent inspections of facilities such as prisons, juvenile justice centres, secure mental health facilities and immigration detention centres will be carried out by local inspection bodies called National Preventative Mechanisms. And the United Nations Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture will also inspect these closed environments and report their findings back to the federal government. Institutional Torture Exposed Justice Action Coordinator Brett Collins described the Australian ratification of the treaty as well overdue. The long-time prisoners' rights activist has been representing Australian inmates and involuntary mental health patients at local OPCAT conferences since an initial meeting in 2009. It's embarrassing that Australia has lagged behind many other much smaller countries who accepted the responsibilities they had under the treaty, he said. Indeed, as of April... 83 other nations had already ratified the document. Mr Collins recalled that at an OPTAP workshop in December 2016, former Australian Attorney General George Brandis clearly admitted the government had decided to ratify the agreement due to negative international attention over the Dondale Youth Detention Centre revelations. Although the mistreatment of youth detainees at Dondale had been reported in 2014, the incidence of torture at the facility didn't gain national exposure until mid-2016. These included episodes of prolonged solitary confinement, tear gassing and the shackling of a hooded boy to a chair. A fresh watchdog. Since 1979, Justice Action has been tracking abuses of authority in Australian correctional facilities. The independent organisation is in constant consultation with inmates across the country and this input from the inside has informed its recommendations during OPTAC negotiations. And right from the start, when OPCAT representatives from Geneva came to Sydney in 2009 as well as when Brandis ran the 2016 workshop, Mr Collins has made clear that NPMs will only be effective if the whole inspection system is overhauled and current inspectors are no longer utilised. The inspector bodies will need to be fresh and not merely rebedded existing inspectors, Collins explained. He went on to outline that the entire system needs to change 
as any abuses of power already present are being carried out under existing monitoring procedures. Key prisoner recommendations at an OPCAT roundtable held in Sydney on June the 8th, Mr Collins made clear that as far as inmates were concerned, there are structural changes that need to take place within the prison system in order for NPMs to be useful. Otherwise, nothing will improve. And Justice Action put forth three key recommendations that, if applied, would ensure that the implementation of OPCAT provisions would make improvements to the system. The most important recommendation was to make sure that prisoners' voices are fully supported, Collins outlined, and this should be done by utilising the prisoner representative committees that already exist within every correctional facility across the country. These committees should be a part of the OPCAT structure and report directly to the NPMs. As Collins explained, individual inmates shouldn't have to report their mistreatment. Rather, it should be the job of committee representatives to bring any abuses to the attention of authorities. Direct electronic communication. According to Collins, in all high security units in Australia, there's a CCTV camera in the corner of each cell, and these devices are currently being used by prison staff to monitor the movements for inmates. But what Justice Action proposed at the OPCAT round table was that these cameras should be used as communication pathway devices that link prisoners with the MPMs via the Office of the Commonwealth Ombudsman, which is the authority that's been appointed NPM coordinator. Prisoners should also be able to contact the NPMs through this link via a computer in their cell that would allow them to make complaints directly. This would not only improve prison monitoring, Mr Collins explained, but it would also provide inmates with direct recourse in cases of mistreatment. An independent representative body. The third recommendation made on behalf of detainees at the OPCAT roundtable was that an independent organisation should be set up to represent prisoners' concerns. Justice Action is fulfilling this role at present, but it believes a more clearly defined body must be established. This non-government organisation would ensure that full compliance with the OPCAT takes place and that prisoners' rights are being upheld. It would also assist in the rehabilitation of inmates and with their resettlement back into society. This elective and responsive external organisation would have sufficient funding to maintain its role, Mr Collins told Sydney criminal lawyers, and it would work closely with the Commonwealth Ombudsman in monitoring our obligations under OPCAT. Preventing further abuse. The OPCAT roundtable consisted of 28 representatives from various civil society organisations, including refugee advocacy networks, Indigenous organisations and community legal centres. Mr Collins said he believes the recommendations that were made on behalf of Australian prisoners will be taken up. The representatives from the Commonwealth Ombudsman's office who were present at the meeting assured him the points would be taken into account. Australian Human Rights Commissioner Edward Santow chaired the meeting. And if people want to have a look at the full article, they can do so by going on the Justice Action website. Um, to have a look at that and when we do our podcasting we'll be putting full details um, of that website so people can have a look. We'll go into an announcement and hopefully we'll be doing our next interview with Sajta. We will not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And 
somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we have, don't actually have the right to do that. That nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded, I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. Here is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. Estás sintonizando 3CR, 855 de tu dial AM. صدای ما را از رادیو 3CR 855 AM Kính thưa quý vị, đây là đài phát thanh 3CR trên lần sóng AM 855 3CR and help keep these voices on the airwaves. Call the station on 94198377. The number is again 94198377. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419-8377. And you're back with the Doing Time Show. And we're speaking now with um, the peer support, one of the peer support team from... Um, from the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. Hello, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you. I'm wondering if you could just um, just introduce yourself, um, including yeah. your name and title. That would be really useful for listeners. Thank you. Yeah, sure, no worries. So my name is Sajda. Um, I am part of the Police Accountability Project uh, under the Flemington Kensington Legal Centre and I'm a peer advocate um, that basically works with a whole lot of people uh, towards ending racial profiling. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And that makes me feel better because that, that means that I pronounced your name correctly on air. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. We're on Don't the worry. same page. It's a common problem. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good on you. Now, I'm wondering if you could just describe um, your title and, and just talk about your the background to what's happening with ending racial profiling and then move on to what happened with the Milo event last year. Yeah, so describing my title and then um, yeah. talking yeah, about the racial profiling. Sure, so um, so basically my title as a peer advocate within the Flemington Kenton Legal Centre is um, to sort of reach out to a lot of um, community members, a lot of people affected by um, discriminatory policing, a lot of people that have had um, experience sort of being isolated by police um, and basically, you know, had to suffer the aftermath of such and sort of giving them a platform and a voice um, to sort of talk about their uh, experiences and to work towards ending it and, um, yeah, holding forums to educate them on their rights that they have when these things do occur and also um, just meeting with, like, influential parliamentarians and community leaders, uh, people within Victoria Police to try and tackle... Um, racial profiling within the police at an institutional and legal level. Thanks so much for that. Um, no and, worries. And in fact, we've done some quite um, extensive coverage on this show in yep. regards to racial profiling. And as you're probably aware, we did we've interviewed Tamar Hopkins and Anthony Kelly and quite yep. a few people um, here. But yeah, so when you say um, racial f- profiling, what does yep. that mean? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So basically, with regards to racial profiling as a term, it refers to um, it refers to people being profiled as uh, potential criminals or having or being engaged in potential criminal activity because of um, the colour of their skin uh, or their their appearance or anything um, that basically sets them apart from the mainstream uh, sort of Anglo-Saxon Caucasian um, look. So um, it can be based on their race, on their religion, on their uh, on their culture. Okay, yeah, that, that, yeah. that's good. And in fact, there are a number of um, programs that the centre, the legal centre has, isn't it, to, to actually help and support people, particularly that's from right. African communities? Yes, yes, particularly from African communities because that's where you sort of see um, racial profiling prevalent. And I sorry, I did forget to mention that uh, racial profiling is very much in the context that we speak about it in. Um, it's what it's coming from um, police. So it's the way that I guess um, you know policing is occurring, and um, there's some sort of unconscious bias being projected onto minority communities such as you know, African communities. And as long as the Kensington Legal Centre does uh, hold a forum, like I said, uh, sorry, like I mentioned before, and um, uh, basically um, go out to educate a lot of the community members about what their rights are and the fact that they don't always have to, um, you know, be subject to uh, invasive questioning because, uh, you know, they look like a potential criminal in the eyes of certain police members. Absolutely, and that would also involve um, police not vest- investigating police too and um, exactly. trying to organise independent investigations there. Yeah, exactly. so there's quite a lot that, that's happened there. So do you have much contact with with the communities yourself? Like how, how do you do advocacy for, for that, yeah, that community? So, yeah, so with myself, um, we do we have um, some good contact with the with different community members. Um, we do engage in advocacy now lately. Uh, it was last year around September-ish that we released a video um, that uh, spoke about racial profiling from our perspective. So it was basically with the PR advocate team. So there were a bunch of, I think, five of the um, advocates 
amongst us and we spoke about the effects of racial profiling. It's sort of a call to end it um, to police members. Um, and we've done basically interviews with I did, um, different uh, journalists talking about the issue, talking about your own experience, um, you know, getting uh, those who have been through it to talk about their experiences and um, to sort of vocalise, you know, uh, I guess, the concerns at a higher level. Absolutely, and and I believe that the centre is also has done quite a few reports. The equality is not the same report, and also the without suspicion campaign work. That's right. Yeah. So what does that involve? Um, so with the uh, campaigns that's been happening, they've they've been doing a lot of research uh, on the I guess the prevalency of racial profiling within Victoria Police in particular, and in the Flemington Kenton Legal Centre uh, in the Flemington Kenton uh, area, and particularly towards African. Uh, Australians. So um, they they did they took a lot of um, testimonies. They did a lot of research. It went on for two years from memory, and they found uh, that there were ways to sort of uh, tackle racial profiling. Uh, they suggested uh, different law reforms. Uh, one of them was particularly stopping search proceedings. They found that um, uh, African Australians were. Um, 1.5 times less likely to actually commit a crime uh, in the Flemington Kensington area, but were twice as likely to be stopped and questioned by police. So um, they suggested to have something called stop and search receiving, which is where uh, Victoria Police uh, has to uh, hand in a receipt to everyone that they stop and search. And in that receipt, they need to outline very briefly why exactly they stopped that person. So what it's meant to do is, um, I guess, allow the police members to sort of halt and uh, consider their possible unconscious bias, that they might just be stopping this person simply because in their eyes they look like a criminal because of their skin colour. Uh, and Victoria Police did implement that for some time, uh, but unfortunately not in long enough to uh, see the benefits of it. Yeah, there's just so much going on, isn't it? And I believe that, um, you know, the police um, have been involved in... in, in, in helping with to initiate that work but yeah. it's interesting that on the receipt they don't actually yeah. put the the race of that person do they no they don't no exactly and i think that would be important to a degree because it would uh, sort of uh, uh, form a quite a good source when it comes to um searching the rate as to you know how many um times that someone from a particular race will get stopped compared to one from a um, mainstream. And I find it interesting too that um, yeah. that the, the way that things are done, this yeah. this work is targeted more, not targeted, but you know, is, is more brought towards new recruits rather than having a look at ongoing police. You know the ongoing work of police. There's yeah. no ongoing training for police, is there? Yeah, yeah, that's a very, very, um, very good observation. It's, it's true. Um, the fact that they think that they can train um, the police once, you know, just have uh, an annual training session and talk about unconscious bias, not even annual, just a one-stop one, um, and then assume that it'll never come up again is just uh, wrong in so many ways. Because at the end of the day, um, we are constantly exposed to racism, particularly in the media, and so unconscious bias can very much change. So it's important that police have ongoing training tackling that. Absolutely. Look, that's great. I mean, I, I think we, we could talk all night, really. I mean, there's just so much to discuss, isn't there? Um, and, and in fact, it's always good to, to interview um, an advocate such as yourself, you know, you. who's had some exposure, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so 
were you at the Milo event last year? Um, yeah, so we've been at the Milo event. Unfortunately, I was not there. Um, That's but okay. I was witness to uh, a lot of the things that happened there through the footage that was proposed, and I spoke to a lot of the members of um, that attended. So I was able to get enough information to then um, speak at a protest against it. Yeah, because I, I feel that our show hasn't yet done enough coverage on, on this particular topic. I'm wondering, could you who is Milo exactly and what yeah. happened last year? Okay, sure, yeah. So basically, um, Milo, he's a former bright, I can never say it, sorry, That's Breitbart right. writer. So Breitbart is this uh, quote-unquote news agency. Yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> sorry. That's all right. Uh, that uh, writes... Uh, quite nonsense articles that don't have a lot of uh, backing to it. Sure. Um, it's very sort of American Fox News uh, agenda Mm-mm. focused, I'd say. Uh, Trump loves it, so of I think course. that says enough. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So he's a former writer for that. He's been linked to neo-Nazis and uh, he's mocked sexual abuse victims. He's basically a spokesman for uh, the right, the alt-right. And um, he's someone that sort of perpetuates a lot of hate and gets a lot of love for that, unfortunately. And he came to speak in Australia, didn't he? That's right. So he came to uh, speak in Australia uh, about the, um, you know, about the things he loves to talk about, which are basically, um, you know, refugees, Muslims, uh, yeah. anti-immigration, all of that. Yeah. And so he was he very anti he was very, very anti, very, very anti. And I guess what was shocking is that um, in a in a suburb uh, that you know is sort of strife in multiculturalism, in migrant and refugee populations, um, to have Milo attending an event in that suburb was quite uh, shocking. And a lot of people believe that it was it was deliberate and um, that they chose that location because it is one of the largest migrant refugee populations in Melbourne. Absolutely. So, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, sorry, go on. No, no, keep going. Oh, just um, basically what happened at the protest then. Um, There there was a lot of residents that, uh, actually more than a lot, mostly all of them, that said that they were chased and they were doused in pepper spray um, and that they were actually shoved into their apartment buildings by police. So the police were sort of stopping them from protesting to a degree um, by putting them in their apartment buildings, even though... um, the main sort of uh, hills, racist hills, Islamophobic kills were coming from the uh, right uh, protesters. And uh, basically a lot of them were stalked um, in order to leave the grounds of the housing estate, which is their home, by police. Um, what was quite uh, concerning was that riot police did storm the protest and they used um, pepper spray to subdue the, cloud, the crowd and particularly on youth. Um, and they were actually quoted as saying, we can't tell the difference between them and you. Oh. So, yeah, it was, it was quite shocking to that degree. Um, they were, what was really sad is, um, um, sorry, is, is that one of the, a lot of the students and a lot of the children didn't go to school the next day because they were quite traumatised by it all. And it was happening in the, basically in their homes, in their backyards. Um, and a lot of schools uh, um, had to actually... Uh, you know, stop classes that day and sort of debrief the students and give them some psychological training uh, because they were quite affected by that. Wow. Um, the students yeah. that were at the protest? Yes, the students that were at the And not, not just at the protest, the ones that were in their house. So a lot of people said that they were coming home from work and that they were actually ambushed as they got off the tram. What? And particularly, yeah, because a lot of them did not know that the event was happening there 
and obviously that it caused such a you know concerning uh, response. So uh, ambushed the, by the police or by the fascists or both? Uh, ambushed by the fascists and ambushed like, to a degree by the police because um, you know the, the police are trying to I guess control <laughs> the environment there. And so as they came off the trams, like there was oh. yeah, ambush, and a lot of the women wearing hijabs were particularly targeted against. Uh, particularly targeted, sorry, by uh, the fascists and by the police. What is really lacking in media coverage and also lacking very much in the activist movement is that there really does need, honestly, to be some workshopping around these issues. Like, what are we going to do about these fascists? Now, I'm not talking about killing them or beating them up. I'm Mm. not talking about that. I'm talking more about what are we going to do? Do you know what I'm trying to say? How yeah. do we handle we There has to be a universal strategy yeah. so that people don't look bad. Do you know what I mean? Where, where people are hitting each other and I'm not saying, you know, perhaps the, I'm sure the fascists do start it. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's there's this terrible violence or, or mm-hmm. in, in inverted commas, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all that the public sees. Mm-hmm. How can we as a movement put out a cohesive and universal message about what's going on here? You know, that's a question I'd like to throw out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, That's a really, really good question, and I I wish I had a straightforward answer as well to it. Unfortunately, when you you really look at it from from like a retrospective or like a bird's eye point of view, you see that the people that are responsible or that um, monitor or control a lot of mainstream media and a lot of outlets, which um, are quite powerful in the sense that they get the message across to uh, millions of people, they don't have the, best, the, the community's best interest. They have power, money and other things Thank um, you. As, their, yeah, yeah. as their goal. And uh, they, they personally don't really care about communities and about individuals uh, and particularly minority individuals. So I, it would be naive for me to say that um, one day, you know, they will care about us and one day the people in power will actually help us because, unfortunately, the reality is they won't and it possibly would only get worse. And, and we see by the likings of, you know, our politics and America's politics, it is getting worse. Uh, but what we can do, I think, from our perspective and our point of view is that you know, we have clear intentions and money and power don't really drive us. It's rather the uh, effect in our communities and, you know, the real people in our society and their stories. Uh, I think we can basically use our own skills to sort of um, empower them as much as possible. So I think I think the, the, the fight really is not even in attaining justice, it's in fighting for justice. So, you know, when these things happen, um, when you witness that injustice and it makes you grind your teeth and clench your fists, uh, I think the best thing to do is to tell yourself that you can fight it. I think telling yourself that you win that fight is a far stretch. But the fact that you fight it and maybe you help 10 people out of the hundreds that are violated against is something that, um, yeah, is something that I feel is quite important and, you know, that we should particularly focus on. And so I think in the activist, you know, I'm seeing in whichever way people are trying to, I think we should just continue to move forward with that movement, not let it sort of slow them down to any degree. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, you've got... 
Unfortunately, the, you know, the police protect the ruling class, you know, like Exactly. Yeah. Didn't 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 they didn't Milo and his cronies pay, you know, thousands of dollars yeah, to the cops? Yeah. That's right, they did. Yeah, you know? $50,000. Yeah, yeah. $50,000. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, for the protection. So For the protection. I mean, and, and the way that it was, like the footage and, uh, and, and the pictures, it showed that it was that the police had their backs against the residents of Flemington and it was as if they were just there to just support and protect and stand by uh, Milo and his supporters. Uh, and it, it was just the images, you know, were quite startling. I mean, I'm sure maybe the intentions of the police could have been different. That's up to them to justify. But what you saw from a naked eye was quite saddening to be honest because this is these are people's homes we're talking about it's their backyards we're talking about and we just had white police come in and Milo come in and basically um you know sort of mark their ground and say we don't care if you're one of the largest migrant populations in Melbourne we're going to come here and hold and entertain and protect approach an event which uh basically discriminates you and makes your life a lot more of a living hell than it already is yeah, yeah, that's it, and it's it's. Uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that the people that were um, pepper sprayed are mm-hmm. going to be making complaints against the police. Yeah, yeah, they did. There were a lot of complaints. I think there were around 300 community members or various MPs, the Greens MP. Um, so many letters that got sent out, and actually, um, it was the Victoria Police Assistant Commissioner, I think Stephen Lenny. Um, they said that uh, basically uh, that they would, you know, sort of work with the community and they would see the significant effect that it had on the residents of Kensington and Flemington um, from the protests. So. Well, we certainly do. The Doing Time show will certainly be watching that space and hopefully yeah. we'll be interviewing um, Lauren from there it's, or someone from the centre to talk about what's happening up from that follow-up. And yeah, there's not much time left, but I just wanted to quickly say to you, and it's so sure. it's lovely to have you actually. It's been really – I've enjoyed your company. Oh, um, thank you so much. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, one of the things is we, we – Peter and I actually interviewed a couple of weeks ago – um, yeah. Cot, who is the African one of the African leaders? Yeah, um, he's been on the ABC as well. Yeah, and interviewing him about the inflammatory debate over the so-called African youth gang crisis. Um, right. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. <laughs> that's another one, isn't it? What What are your that's thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts would be uh, that uh, <laughs> the the social aspect and sort of watching the trend of, uh, you know, the blatant discrimination is very interesting, especially mainstream media and the way they try and... They don't even try and hide it anymore, it's quite obvious. Um, but I just love to see, um, you know, white Caucasian youth that are involved in twice as more crimes get that same coverage when they rob a 7-Eleven or when they vandalise the street yeah. <laughs> or anything like that. So, yeah, um, I, I, I honestly think it's, it's quite um, disgusting. I... I, I I find it hard to take it seriously just because it's so inaccurate. It it is. Extremely. And please, you know, I'm not here to... Um, be unsympathetic to people no, that no. have home invasions. It's a, it, yeah. it could happen to any of us, you know. Yeah. But to say that most of them are Sudanese offenders. Yeah, um, that's shocking. Which actually only represent 1% of offenders. Um, that's right, yeah. According to the state's crime statistics that's agency, right. CSA. Yeah, yeah. It just came out there. 
And in fact, um, the Tasmanian Green Senator Nick McCain wrote a dissenting yeah. committee report, didn't he? Who said yeah. that the error confirmed migrants had been unfairly victimised. That's right, yeah. So there are, there are numerous reports, research out there, statistics, you know, all the really hardcore evidence showing that this African crime wave gang does not exist and yet that is what the media wants to focus on and that is what... That, that's a story that a lot of people are buying. So I think it's just important to keep talking about the facts. Yeah, and maybe we should, a uh, whole lot of us should just go to some restaurants, you know? Mm. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> what do you reckon about that? I mean, yeah, the, the, I think that's okay. <laughs> are you scared to go home after a restaurant because you're going to be attacked by a Sudanese? <laughs> I honestly, I, I am, I'm trembling in my shoes. Come on, come on. <laughs> Despite the fact that they have the best food, I eat at their restaurants and then I'm scared of them. <laughs> oh, it's it, that it's really bad. It's <laughs> it's it just shows um, yeah. that we've got a very very racist um, liberal party, and <laughs> um, you know, and and attacks on migrant children. Yeah, that's very very true. And and what I find super interesting is, is the way that you know when it comes to migrants, when it comes to these ethnicities, we talk about their food and culture. We're all happy to sit there and eat kebabs and eat falafels and eat you know curries and everything else. Um, but when it comes to just supporting these minorities, it's just a big fat no. Yeah, it it I, really is, oh, and you God. know, it, each each time there's they target different cultures. Now it's that, mm. like when mm. I was a kid, it was the Italians, and everybody was mm. happy to eat their lasagna and They're, exactly and have their spaghetti, <laughs> and then go home, walk, go back to where you came from, mate. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'd love to see kebab strips from Melbourne. Absolutely, we'll <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you have to laugh, otherwise you go mad. Yeah. You know, it, it stops you from burning out. You know. I 100% agree with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming onto the program. No We've got about worries. three minutes left of our show, but um, we'll be um, bringing you back, I, I hope, for future updates and keep Definitely. up the good work. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to speak with you. You too. Sophie. Thank you so much. Producer. Thank you. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. And that was Sajda, um, and she's a peer advocate, support advocate from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. It's 4.57. It's goodbye from Marissa. And Pete. Sorry, I was a bit quiet. Today. That's all right. Um, and we're going out with our theme song, Blackfellow, Whitefellow. Um, and we're going to be, and Beyond Zero is up next. Yep. Bye. Bye. Tune in at the same time from 4 to 5 next Monday, every Monday. <laughs>